you would open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Our text this morning is verses 1 through 9. Please hear the word of God. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land I'm sorry, when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Let's pray. Father, as we have read about the call of Abraham... And as we uh, hope to, uh, from your word, uh, understand more about the nature of genuine faith, so I pray that your Holy Spirit would be working, helping us to examine the quality of our own faith um, in, in Jesus Christ. I pray this in his name. Amen. By the way, just by way of preface, um, the uh, text here, uh, Abram, uh, it's not yet Abraham, it will become Abraham in Genesis 17. Also Sarai um, is not yet Sarah, God will change her name a little later. But for, for me, as I'm up here preaching, I know I'm going to go back to Abraham, I'm going to go to Sarah. So, I just, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that now, um, because uh, uh, habit uh, will will overcome me. So, anyway, uh, so don't get too distressed if I say Abraham and Sarah as we move through this text. This morning, I'm going to address a topic of vital importance. It's a topic that I've addressed before but probably not frequently enough. The topic is the difference between faith and saving faith. We believe that salvation is by faith. Faith is the vehicle or the instrument which God uses to bring to us the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection. Salvation is by faith apart from works. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You might be surprised to hear, however, that there is a faith 
that does not save. And God wants us to avoid this false faith, this faith that does not save. And He so wants us to avoid it that He's given us many examples of false faith in the Bible as a warning to us. For example, there's the whole history of Old Testament Israel. They believed in God, but not really. They would cry out to God when other nations would would um, overcome them. But as soon as God uh, delivered them, then they would turn their backs on God. There were also the Pharisees in the New Testament. Uh, they had this very detailed list of do's and don'ts to make sure that they were worshiping God properly. But you know what Jesus said about their whole system of worship? About their whole system of religion? Even though they were the religious leaders in Israel, Jesus said their whole system was a fraud and a deception. Jesus called the Pharisees blind guides and hypocrites. They had a faith, but it was not a saving faith. It was a self-serving faith. And Jesus in His teaching. Uh, in, in his teachings, gave several warnings of having a faith that does not save, a, a false faith that will not stand on the day of judgment. Remember the parable of the sower? Remember how Jesus said that the sower went out and scattered seeds, and some seeds fell on in different places, uh, some seeds fell on different types of soil, some of the seed fell on rocky soil where there wasn't much depth. And because there wasn't much depth of soil, the seed began to germinate and it sprang up quickly. But because it was rocky, it was not able to uh, put down roots. And when the sun came up and, and uh, the sun became hot, then it scorched the plant and it died um, uh, very quickly it, because it had no roots. Other seed fell amongst the thorns and it also germinated and began to grow. But the weeds, which Jesus said were the cares of this life, choked out the uh, young plant so that it also died. And what Jesus was doing because he was given a warning against having a false faith. There were many people as he was preaching and as he was doing miracles who were following him throughout uh, Israel from town to town. And to look at them, you would think that they had great faith. The earnestness with which they were following him. But it turns out that they really did not have faith at all. Well, they had a faith, but it wasn't a genuine faith. It was a self-serving faith. Jesus also taught about the wide and the narrow gates. The wide gate, Jesus said, is the easy way. The problem is this wide gate leads to the broad road that leads to destruction. Uh, and in the traveler's mind, the people on this broad road, they weren't just seeking to get away from God. Rather, they were seeking after God 
Only it was the wrong road. Most religious people are on this broad road that has a wide gate. But the real road to God is a narrow road. And it has a narrow gate. This road, this narrow road with a narrow gate uh, is the road to true faith um, in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is that gate. But unfortunately, because it is narrow, only a few are willing to travel on it in contrast to the many who are piling on the broad road. Jesus told that story um, in Matthew chapter 7. And then a few verses later, He told, uh, He gave His most poignant warning in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And He was talking to people, basically people who would be on like the broad road, who called Him Lord, but were unwilling to submit to His Lordship. To them, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of My Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to Me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name and cast out demons in Your name and do mighty works in Your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew You. Depart from Me, You workers of lawlessness. These were people who called Jesus Lord. These were people who were doing works in His name. And yet Jesus said to them, I never knew you. They had a faith, but it wasn't a genuine faith. And it was certainly not a faith that was going to enable them to stand on the day of judgment. Not only Jesus, but also the Apostle Paul gave warnings of having a false faith. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul warned the Corinthian uh, congregation, just as I am warning you, to examine yourselves and to examine your faith. Paul said to them, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Another test that Paul gave uh, to the Ephesian congregation, he gave in Ephesians 5, verses 5 and 6, he said, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. James, in his letter, also gave very pointed warnings. In James 1.26, he said, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. In chapter uh, 2, verse 19, James says, uh, anyone, or Not everyone who has faith will be saved because even demons have faith in God. As I'm uh, talking to unbelievers about the Gospel, oftentimes I'll tell them, oh, you believe in God? Well, good, now you're qualified to be a demon. 
I get their attention. <laughs> um, even the demons believe in God. And so there's a faith that is not a, fa- a saving faith. And finally, the entire book of 1 John was written to help believers to examine their, their faith to see if it was genuine. In the book of 1 John, there are many tests. One test that, that uh, John in his, first, in his epistle gives to us is, do you walk in the light? Another test is, do you love the world? Another test would be, do you love your brother? Another test would be, do you love to obey God's commandments? Another test would be, do you pray and receive answers to your prayers? Another test that John lays out for us is, do you repent of your sin or do you continue in it? All these are tests that the Apostle John lays out in his epistle to help us test ourselves, examine ourselves, and see whether we are really in the faith. It is important for all of us to test ourselves because there are many people who call God or who call upon God and they want God to save them from hell. They want God to save them from some bad circumstances brought about by their sins. But unfortunately, many of those people do not really want to have a living relationship with God. So what about you? What is the quality of your faith? Do you really love God Or do you simply want God to do something for you? Other people want Jesus as their Savior. And they even have some warm feelings toward Him. But they're unwilling to to submit themselves uh, to Christ as their Lord. They try and divide Christ uh, between having Him as Savior and having Him as Lord. Um, They believe only what they want to believe and reject the rest. It cannot be. Either Christ will be Lord of all, or He's not Lord at all. Again, what about you? What is the quality of your faith? Do you really love Jesus Christ? Or do you want Him to be your heavenly bellhop? Do you have a selective obedience where you're selecting what you want to obey and selecting what you want to ignore? Or are you willing to commit yourselves fully and completely to the Lord Jesus Christ? The call of Abraham and also and Abraham's response will help us to identify uh, true, genuine faith. When God called Abraham... Abraham lived was was residing in the uh, city of Ur, and Ur was an advanced city on the Euphrates River, just northwest of the Persian Gulf. In the 1920s, Sir Leonard Woolley did an archaeological excavation of the city of Ur. He spent two decades exploring it and and unearthing the city, and. Uh, he saw how advanced this city was. Uh, he also learned that the citizens of Ur were basically moon worshippers. That was this was a, a center of uh, of moon worship in in the ancient world, and they had built one of these gigantic ziggurats, like the Tower of Babel, uh, there in in Ur. And here was Abraham. He was a citizen of Ur. 
he was basically a typical Urite, if you will. He was a typical pagan worshiper. Joshua Joshua 24, verse 2 says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. In fact, Abraham's father, Terah, his name was the Akkadian name for the moon god. So the moon god was named Terah. And Sarai... Abram, Abraham's wife, or Abram's wife, her name was the same name as the as the moon god in Akkadian. In other words, Abraham and his family were not worshippers of the true God, but they were living in the city of Ur. They were pagans. They were polytheists. They didn't just worship one god; they worshipped many gods. But God, in His grace chose to place his love upon Abraham or upon Abram. I said I wasn't going to correct myself. But uh, God God placed his love upon him and chose him and called him to himself. There was nothing in Abram that would have recommended him to God. This is simply an example of God's free grace. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you also are an example of God's free grace. You believe in Jesus Christ because He drew you to Himself. Because He placed His love upon you. Because He called you to Himself. And when God calls, we must respond. And so Abraham, God called to him. Verse 1, Go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land I will show you. Um, And so he he placed his call upon Abraham. And God, you'll notice here in verse 1, that God didn't tell Abraham where he was sending him. The location was undisclosed. He simply said, go from your country, go from the place where you grew up, and go to the land I'm going to show you. And so he basically told Abraham, Go and I will be with you and I will lead you. Well, where did God lead him? He led him from the city of Ur that was uh, close to the Persian Gulf. This would be in um, southeastern Iraq, for those of you who, who know your geography. And then he went up the Euphrates River about 600 miles to the town of Haran. And apparently, when they got to Haran, um, Moses' father—I mean, not Moses—trying to say Abram rather than Abraham—and I come out with Moses. Um, Abram's father decided, "I'm not going any further," and so they stopped in Haran. They stayed there until uh, Terah died. After he died. God said, okay, pick up and move. And so God began to lead him again. And so as he had gone 600 miles up um, diagonally, northwest, then God began uh, leading him down south, uh, southwesternly, down into the land of Canaan. And it was another 600 miles or so from Haran down to Shechem. So... Um, so God was leading him, 
And um, God's call for Abram was a call for him to leave everything behind and follow God's call. It reminds us of the call of the Gospel. Remember in Matthew 10, verse 37, what Jesus said? Jesus said, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Or Mark chapter 8, verse 35, Jesus said, Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospel's sake will save it. Does this describe the quality of your faith? Is there anything or anyone that you love more than Jesus Christ? Have you laid down your life at the feet of Jesus? Have you submitted to His Lordship? Do you trust Him wholeheartedly? That is the question. What is the quality of your faith this morning? Notice in verses 2 and 3 that God makes several promises to Abraham. And this helps us to understand the, the, uh, the understand and identify um, what true, genuine faith really is. Genuine faith takes hold of the promises of God. It's not your obedience that gives power and legitimacy to your faith. It is not your sincerity that gives power and legitimacy to your faith. It is not the quality of your belief that gives power and legitimacy to your faith. The power and legitimacy of your faith is rooted in the object of your faith, which is the promise of God. And all the promises of God are, as the book of Hebrews tells us, yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Or is that 1 Corinthians? Um, But all of them point to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have time to dwell on each of these promises as I would like, so please allow me to uh, do what my my hero, uh, if I have one hero, that would be Charles Spurgeon. He was always taking shortcuts to the Lord Jesus Christ. So allow me a shortcut to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these promises here in verse, verses 2 and 3, uh, where he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All of these promises that God gave to Abraham are really rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. Even though Jesus Christ had not been born into the world yet, all of these, all of these promises are rooted and grounded in Him. In fact, Abraham never really received the totality of these promises. He received the kernel of these promises. But it was only after he long had died that the kernel began sprouting roots and began to grow. And the plant only reached full growth when Jesus Christ came into the world. God called Abraham so that from him God might send the Messiah, Jesus Christ, into the world. That's why 
here in these promises. There's a worldwide focus that looks beyond Abraham. Look at uh, the, the end of verse 2. He says, you will be a blessing. And then verse 3, he says, uh, at the end of verse 3, all the families of the earth shall be blessed in Abraham. That is because the Lord Jesus Christ came as the Savior of the world to allow Himself to be stretched out on that cross, to allow Himself to become sin for sinners, to allow Himself to be the substitute for sinful human beings, to allow Himself to receive the full weight of the wrath of God in our place. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might be the righteousness of God. We've talked about the quality of your faith. Now let me ask you, as I conclude, where is the content of your faith? Where is your faith rooted? Is it rooted in yourself? Is it rooted in the benefits that you want? Or is it rooted in Jesus Christ who loved you so much that He died on the cross for sinners. Let's pray together. Our Father, we have been dealing with one of these subjects that the Bible demands that we deal with. But, unfortunately, it is also one of those subjects that we close our eyes to. We turn our back on it. Because we want to be our own Savior. We want to have a hand in, in uh, justifying ourselves before You when we, um, when we don't have the ability to do so. But our Lord Jesus Christ had not only the ability, He actually uh, did everything necessary for us to have a relationship with You. And now He offers us to Himself. And He calls us to trust in Him. Father, I pray for every child, every young man, every young woman, every adult, every middle-aged adult, every older adult. I pray for them. Father, I pray that none here would leave without having their faith rooted, grounded in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Father, just as um, You called Abraham, so You call the world to repentance. Father, I pray that each person here, in turning to repentance, would turn to Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.